Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. In our often so-called and advanced, enlightened and advanced age, there are many who claim to see through religion, especially in the West where we live and where Christianity was prominent so many years, see through Christianity. They will loudly claim that it's all nothing but myth, fable, and a story to help give meaning to life. All they claim is made up. The most ignorant of history will go on to say that they are certain beyond all doubt that our Lord Jesus Christ never even existed, despite the evidence to the contrary even in the writings of unbelievers at the time. Even some so-called theologians, who are theologians in name only and not in truth, in an effort to cater to the world and seek their approval, will say, maybe things did not happen as the scriptures said. Maybe this part or that part is myth. Miracles, they couldn't have happened. After all, I've never seen one. But that doesn't mean we can't glean some meaning from it even if it's made up. Brothers and sisters, in direct opposition to this and to those in his day who claimed that the Lord Jesus would never return, St. Peter wrote, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. These were no myths, no fables, no moral stories meant to make your children behave. No, St. Peter says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Yes, brothers and sisters, what was true then is still true now. We did not follow cleverly devised myths but we follow the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he taught throughout his life and ministry in Galilee and Judea in the first century. There he walked and lived and worked his miracles, his healing, his power over nature, his authority over the spirits, and teaching with divine authority. You can go to the very places where these things happened. And what we have are not reports from persons many, many years later imagining what may have happened, but rather reports by eyewitnesses and writings by them. Two of the evangelists were of Jesus's 12 disciples, the closest who followed him throughout his entire ministry. These are St. Matthew and St. John. The other two had close contact with the apostles. St. Mark is traditionally said to be St. Peter's scribe, and much of his gospel gives Peter's thoughts at various places. For example, in St. Mark's version of the Transfiguration, when Peter says, let me set up three tents, it adds, he said this because he didn't know what he was doing. St. Luke traveled with St. Paul and many of the eyewitnesses to these events. As he says in his prologue to his gospel, 
inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And there are not just reports of one eyewitness, but of many, and they all collaborate, even though they say things in different ways. They all say the same basic things and proclaim the same truth, even when the words are different. They say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he was born of the Virgin Mary, that after his ministry he was crucified under the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, that he suffered, died, and was buried, and that on the third day he rose again from the dead, and forty days later he ascended into heaven to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And just as he promised to rise from the dead, he also promised to return to judge the living and the dead at the end of time. All of this he did so that those who believe in him, who have faith in his name, will be saved from the wrath to be revealed, which all deserve because of their sin. Yes, these are not myths, but reports of eyewitnesses. We did not follow cleverly devised myths, St. Peter says, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, his majesty that he displayed throughout his ministry, and which was manifest in his death, his glorious resurrection and ascension to heaven. As St. John wrote in the beginning of his gospel, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. But St. Peter also has a particular instance in mind when he wrote this, that which we're celebrating today, when our Lord Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, upon a high mountain as was transfigured before them. For, he writes, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard the very voice born from heaven and were with him on the holy mountain. Peter writes to encourage us in holding to this faith, for he himself, along with James and John, were witnesses to this event, which they were forbidden to talk about until the Son of Man was raised from the dead. They were present and heard the second time when the Father confirmed and accepted the incarnation and work of salvation which Jesus Christ was accomplishing. Of course, as the only begotten Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, he has always shared in the honor and glory of the Father. But here on the holy mountain, Jesus, who is the Son of God incarnate, that is, in human flesh, receives honor and glory according to his human nature. Here the Father says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. He is pleased with his incarnation. He is pleased with his ministry. He is pleased with his going towards Jerusalem and the cross which awaits him, as he bears the sins of the world, so that by his death he may atone for all, so that those who have faith in him 
are justified and haven't their sins forgiven. Peter, James, and John were witnesses of this. They saw their master and teacher transfigured before them, speaking with Moses and Elijah. And they heard the voice of the majestic glory saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. In this event, they saw a glimpse of our Lord Jesus' power. They saw a glimpse of his authority. They saw him as he is, as the Son of God in human flesh. They saw his glory. They saw him shining as the sun. They saw how this man, Jesus, had the glory of God, not reflected as when Moses spoke with God, but coming from his very self. For he is the God-man, the Son of God incarnate, fully God and fully man in one person. This glimpse of the power and glory and honor of the Lord Jesus before he went to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world reassured them and confirmed for them that he would return in power and glory. The transfiguration along with the voice from the majestic glory confirmed to them that Jesus is he of whom the scriptures bear witness, that Jesus is the prophesied son of man, that Jesus is the one who will return to judge and to execute God's judgment on the last day. This experience made the disciples even more sure of who he was, and it made the scriptures even more sure as well. It made the scriptures even more certain to them. It made them even more firm in their belief than they were before. For certainly they were believers before this, and as pious Jews, they revered the scriptures and found within them the word of life. But after the revelation of Jesus, after seeing him and his transfiguration, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, they were even more convinced that the scriptures were full of truth and trustworthiness. And today we don't have the Lord revealed to us in glory in the same way as those disciples. We did not see him as they did. We did not witness the transfiguration or any other event where God glorified Jesus before them. But we do have the scriptures, which are the prophetic word to which we will do well to pay attention. The scriptures became more sure and more certain for the disciples after their time with the Lord. They saw how he fulfilled them and how what he promised he what they promised he had done and what was yet to be fulfilled would be fulfilled in Jesus when he returns. Thus we should pay attention to them, read them, mark them, learn them and inwardly digest them. Meditate upon them and have them before us always. St. Peter tells us that we can be certain of them and trust in what they say because they are not merely the words of men writing what they best thought, but rather they came from God himself. Regarding the scriptures, we are told, know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The scriptures are certain, for they do not have their source in the will of men, 
They're not born of any man's desire, and they do not conform to our will or desire. Surely the multitude of false prophets in Peter's day and in our day prophesy according to their will, prophesying health and wealth and prosperity rather than the carrying of the cross. The recent pandemic has proven the lot of them false beyond a shadow of the doubt, as they prophesied and prophesied and prophesied that it would all be over in May of 2019. Yet it continues. But the prophecy of Scripture and of all Scripture is not by the will of man, but from God. They are, as we say, inspired. Now we're not using the word inspiration and inspired in the way that it's come to be used in our culture. That is something that makes someone want to do something, or that gives an idea, or that motivates one to create. That's a good definition, and that's a good word to use. But we don't mean it in this context, like one saying of the Capel Valley, that it has many inspiring views. No, we're speaking of the older meaning. We, when we say that the scriptures are inspired, we mean it as St. Paul says, when he says that they are breathed out by God. We mean it as St. Peter does here when he says that the prophecies of Scripture and all of Scripture came about when men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This doesn't mean that the Scriptures fell from the sky. No, of course, men had to write them. But while they were written, the source ultimately came from God. The fathers used three different illustrations to demonstrate this. The first is a man dictating to a scribe that would write down everything spoken. The second is that of someone blowing on a flute to make music. The third is that of one plucking the string of a lyre. On all of these examples, the action cannot happen without the first person. The scribe cannot write down anything that isn't spoken. A flute on its own does not play any music, and neither does a lyre. The first cause is the one speaking, the one blowing into the flute, the one plucking the string. And by means of the instrument, the desired result comes. Thus, the scriptures came about by God's will and action through men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Thus, they are sure and certain for us. Because of this, we will do well to pay attention to them, as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. Since the fall, the world has become a dark place, a rough place, a dangerous place, one which we cannot escape nor find our way out of. It's filled with sin and the consequences of sin on all creation. It's filled with fleeting temptations, faulty promises and false gods, all vying for our attention, acceptance and adoration. And we, being fallen creatures like the rest of mankind, are blind to the cause of this, blind to its pitfalls, obstacles, and dangers, blind even to our own participation and predicament. The scriptures serve as a lamp shining in a dark place. They are a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, as the psalmist says. Any light but they are dim and deceiving. The scriptures give to us light to see our sinful state, to see the dangers of the world, to show that we can't escape it. They illumine us to the gospel, to Christ, to the Son of God in human flesh, 
who did not escape the world, nor did he show us how to do it, but instead he defeated it, along with sin, death, and the devil, by his death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, so that by faith in him we too might not escape the world, but overcome it in him. They show us what is good and pleasing to God, what we ought to be doing as his people. They show us how we are to love our neighbor through our vocations and good works, so that they may see the light of Christ which shines in us and by God's grace reflects upon our good works, which we perform, which God performs and perfects through and in us. So that just as the face of Moses reflected the light of God's glory after meeting with him, our light of faith might not be hidden, but reflected in our good works done for our neighbor's sake. The scriptures also grant us comfort, telling us how Christ has saved us and all that he has done to accomplish our salvation. They show us how he was promised from the fall and how God has brought it about and has always kept his promises, and so he will continue to keep his promises. When all seems especially dark and dreary, they are a light to give comfort as we take solace in the forgiveness of sins and the gift of faith which results in everlasting life. We take comfort in the fact that Christ will come again, that he will raise us up and all the dead at his return, and that he will bring those who trust in him to eternal life, while those who spurned him will be cast into the eternal darkness. The scriptures are a great comfort, for through them the Holy Spirit is at work to create and sustain faith, to strengthen it, and to sanctify us and make us holy who have been justified by faith. They are a comfort and a guide to us until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. At that point, they will no longer be needed, for everything will have been fulfilled. The day, of course, is that day when our Lord returns, and we will see him in his glory. We will see him as Peter, James, and John saw him on the holy mountain. We will see him as the great sacrificial victim who conquered by death. Then we will see the new creation, where it shall be an eternal day, illumined not by the sun or any other light, but by God himself in our midst. For those with faith, that day will, be about, will bring about the morning star rising in our hearts. For while the day itself is objective and all will know and experience it, its benefits are only subjectively received. As Paul Gerhardt eloquently described it in his hymn, he comes a terror to his foes, but a light of consolation and blessed hope to those who loved the Lord's appearing. Only with those who have faith in Christ, who have been justified by his grace, who have been sanctified by his word and spirit, will receive good on that day. For those who have been illumined by the Holy Spirit through the lamp of the scriptures, Christ will rise as the morning star, bringing joy as he heralds the night's ending. Those who believe will receive on that day Christ as their savior and champion, and with him the gift of eternal life which he brings in renewed bodies which show no traces of sin or its effects. From then we will live with God in eternity, 
on a renewed creation. May God grant this to us all. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.